Do it. All right. Does one of you bros want to pray? I, I prayed. I prayed last time, and it didn't go very well. So <laughs> <laughs> apparently, I need to work on that. Right. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So I kind of look like death right now. Oh, are you sick? Yeah, I have a little bit of sickness going on. Um. I can still kind of hear myself, Mike, through your... Oh, through mine? Yeah. I uh, have a black eye. Yeah, yeah, dude. I really want to see a picture of that. (laughs) (laughs) You know how the... You've gotten black eyes, I'm sure, before. Both of you. You know what it feels like when you first get hit? I had like a really good shiner, though. Anyway, continue. I I had one of the shiners of all shiners in high school playing flag football in gym class mm-hmm. this shorter kid was defending me and i or i was defending him and we were up for a pass and i came down and the corner of my brow like where your eye socket is hit the top of his head really hard mm. and i could just feel my face filling <laughs> with fluid <laughs> and i ran to the nurse as fast as possible and i was in a big big high school and the nurse's office was far away from the field but by the time i got there it was already just the size of a house and uh we put ice on it but it was it was like a um like an oil spill all of the rainbow colors that it turned of purple and blue (laughs) and yellow and green and it was like a month a month and a half before it went away so i know very intimately what it feels like and I just got just the corner of an elbow playing basketball in the rec center the other night, a week ago today. And you know that throbbing feeling where it's it's a little bit like your bell gets rung, but it's not your brain, it's just your face. Yeah. And uh, it's like, oh, this is going to be a black eye, I can tell. And I finished the game, and I went home and I looked for ice, and I iced it for a while. And the next day it was fine, and then like in the even- by the evening it was black. And now it's just the... The same thing. It's small, but it just looks so gross. Um, Why am I, I also so jealous right now, though? <laughs> at the well, yeah. So people are like, "What happened to your eye?" And you, I don't know. It's a little bit of street cred, but it's also annoying. But I always, I also keep forgetting that it's there. Like I gave that uh, talk at this panel discussion at this uh, theological conference of evangelicals, and I'm up there in clerics with a black eye, and I, I just keep forgetting. Why are people looking at me like that? <laughs> and last night, uh, Katie Dornboss was in town. And uh, part of the reason why was to go to a Rue Payne's concert. Have you ever heard of Rue Payne's? This English kind of folk indie singer. I've heard of his name. I couldn't tell you what he sings, though. Anyways, he he's like one of these sort of Mumford, oh, hellos, sort of cool, good songwriting, but also pretty clearly deeply devoted and open to grace not christian music but music that has christ in it um it was a pretty that, it was, rem- go ahead 
Nope. Remind me to tell you something when you're done. All right. It was a very cool show. We walked into this venue and um, there were seats on the floor. Like it was not, you know, like when we went to Thalia Hall, you've been there a few times, once at least for mm-hmm. oh, hellos. I'm used to that kind of show where it's like there's a stage, this is a hall, and you stand there and listen to music and there's maybe balcony seats or whatever. There was a balcony, but they had also put chairs out in the whole, and we walked in during the opening act and it's total silence and people just sitting looking at the stage and these two dudes playing acoustic and singing into one mic and the balance was perfect it was like nothing i'd ever seen very cool venue and then rupain's played but i like multiple times had the occasion to see myself in glass or in a mirror and remember like oh yeah i'm in public wearing clerics and have a black eye (laughs) (laughs) people probably like what the heck is this guy doing here but with with a young lady (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this mystery man right so it was cool but i'm looking forward to healing both my sinuses and my eye i'm curious did you when Rue Paines was playing were y'all all sitting or we got there late of course and so we were kind of standing on a stairwell like did people dance or what no like... no it was very chill wow it's very chill almost too chill Mm. No, it was just the right amount of chill. Mm. 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 It was good. Well, um, I'm supposed to remind you to tell me something, Rob. Oh, yeah. Uh, did you guys listen to that song? I said, have you heard of Alana Boudreaux? Before? Oh, Katie mentioned her. Whoa. Yeah. That's my jam right now. Okay. I would say she's, I like her better than the Oh Hellos. I'm just going to say it. I know the Oh Hellos are our official band. Mm-hmm. Wow. And if they're doing another Christmas show, I will absolutely go. Whoa. But, man, this, so Sister Carolyn, shout out, uh, from the Franciscan Sisters of the Martyr St. George. Um, I I've had met recommended, her. she's awesome. She's awesome. Yeah, you guys, were you guys on a retreat together or something? Yeah, very, very briefly. Celebrated Mass for him. That's awesome. Um, anyway, I had recommended to her to read The End of the Affair by Graham Greene. <sighs> Great book. Which, holy smokes, man. I've been going back through it a little bit, and it is an incredible book. Yeah, yeah. I want to read, then, oh, I man. want Graham Greene to have written more books like that. Yes. So I can read them. Otherwise, I'm just going to have to go back and read those. Like, have you read uh, The Heart of the Matter? No, I need to. Okay. I've read. Do yourself Power a of the huge glory. favor and read the heart of the matter. Okay, okay. done. Okay. I started yeah. it, but did not finish it. That's the one I where he's in Africa, started... right? The guy's in Africa, and he's like a. Uh, That's right, policeman, yep. I think, or something. Mm-hmm. I also started Brighton Rock, which is, I think, one of his Catholic novels as well. Right. And I did not get. I, I don't know what made me stop that one because it was pretty good too, but it didn't just like you know, wrap me up like the end of the affair did. I'm probably uh, going to finish today in my sick convalescing um, that hideous strength, C.S. Lewis, the third of his space oh, trilogy. It's getting really good. Dude, yeah, the end of it is, yeah, I can it's tell. pretty, uh, it's pretty magical. Literally. Anyway, um, Atlanta Alana Boudreaux. Alana Boudreau has a song, I don't remember what it's called, but it's all about the end of the affair from Bendrix, the guy's perspective. It's an incredible song. Did you guys listen to it? Uh, I can't. Uh, did you send it on email? 
No, I think I texted it to you guys. Dang it, you guys never read my text. No. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, come on. No, no, that's not anyway, true. Did you really text I, it? I just quote put it on my reading list. That's what I would, when people send me stuff. I'm, oh, put this on the list. Well, it was a song, so yeah. it shouldn't be on your reading list. I'll put it on my list, my just general list. Ah, dang. Do yourself a big favor. Hang on, I'll look it up. <laughs> Can you resend it? If you send it via email, I'm much more consistent on email. No, I'm not going to email it. Oh, come on, dude. What is he, like 80 years old? Who? Alana Boudreau? I think it's a girl. Okay. <laughs> okay. The song is called What Bendrix Read. And mm. it's awesome. Bendrix oh. is the narrator of that story? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, he's the dude that was having the affair with Sarah, I won't give anything else away. Whoa. All we know is that it ends. It's a dead giveaway. It's right there in the title. Gosh. Bad writing. (laughs) Bad writing. Yeah, man, that book is... I literally... I, I just recommended that book in my Sacraments of Initiation class to my professor. Um Whoa, that's almost... Yeah, that's all I'll say about that. You may remember that I discussed the plot of this novel to a very um, erudite professor at the University of Chicago after a lecture or a symposium. Do you remember this? I talked about this on the podcast, I think. Did you, you took a train down into... Yeah, into the city. University? What was it? Chicago University? Mm -hmm. And it was about uh, mimetic desire. It was about uh, René Girard and this French professor was giving this talk and i asked a question about the jealousy of god and mimetic uh, desire i thought gerard is all the scapegoat theorist right yeah yeah but it's all based on mimetic desire that we all desire the same thing like a child doesn't doesn't want the toy until it sees the other child playing with it and that's the source of all conflict and so we, we resolve conflict by scapegoating and that jesus i think gerard's theory is that jesus kind of unmasks our scapegoating tendency that we have this false ersatz peace because we've blamed all of our problems on some person or group of people and jesus takes on all that blame as the innocent scapegoat that actually doesn't have any blame but takes all of it anyway and that now we can have true communion rather than this fake communion based on evil and violence but anyways i just thought it was interesting about jealousy as kind of like the the basis of this whole theory and kind of connecting it to how god is jealous in the old testament god's jealous of us or wants wants us to himself for himself and i asked a question like that and basically just got a you don't understand what we're talking about otherwise that you never have asked that question (laughs) and then afterwards i'm standing outside and the same professor comes up and he starts smoking his pipe and i'm like oh yeah you know Talking about jealousy, actually, I'm reading this interesting novel I just finished, uh, The End of the Affair, and I start talking about how this guy hires a private investigator to follow this woman who he had been having an affair with and blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And then this guy comes up, who's kind of his handler, and again, the professor just goes, are we off to dinner? And he just walks away while I'm in the (laughs) middle of a sentence, and then I walk through the rain back to my car or the train or whatever went home. Mm. But uh, yeah, that book, I remember that memory 
associated with that book. And I felt like I was in a Graham Greene novel where I'm just stuck in my own thoughts and my own <laughs> yeah. resentment and feeling. Well, speaking I do remember. That, oh. oh, no, no, go on, Rob. Well, speaking of like the shared desire of all humans, though, back to Alana Boudreaux, I just realized. So another album she has is called Hints and Guesses, which I think is from like she takes that from T.S. Eliot's The Four Quartets, which is like all getting at that whole thing of like there's an innate desire in us. So, it's, dude, you guys need to check her out because she's not she I think she explicitly says that her like she doesn't want her music to be known as Christian, but she's like a very devout Catholic. So it's very informed by like a sacramental imagination. This is well. crazy. Katie and I were talking after the concert. She brought up Atlanta Boudreaux and said, actually, you guys would like to talk about her on the podcast because of what you exactly just said, Rob. Whoa, yeah. really? Yeah. Oh, man, that's awesome. Well, yes. I yeah, I guess I if Katie's endorsing her, then I guess I will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rob's Rob, endorsement means nothing. Too. <laughs> I caught that. <laughs> what were you gonna say, Mike? Um, I was gonna say, well, just kind of bouncing off of what Connor was saying, is uh, I think despite all of the, really that miserable circumstance that you just described about talking to that professor, I think I remember you enjoying the experience as a whole. Didn't yeah. You? Well, it made me feel like part of a novel, <laughs> you know, sort of thwarted. Because yeah. the big question for me, a lot of times I ask questions at these things and I'm actually curious, but I also, there's part of me that's like, I want to ask a good question. Why? Mm-hmm. Because it'll validate me or make me look smart or whatever. So there's something very appropriate about this professor who I didn't know, but wanted to like me and wanted to respect me to just totally blow me off. It was kind of freeing in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I did something similar at uh, a lunch meeting recently where I had a real experience that I was trying to ask a question. So we were, it's actually really cool. What we've been doing up here is father Gallagher did a number of podcasts, not as good as ours, but a number of podcasts with, uh, I can't remember the name of the interviewer, but it's called Discerning Hearts Podcast or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he just goes through the rules of discernment. And um, we've been going through them with a small group at lunch and just listening to these podcasts with Gallagher and this lady. And he just kind of talks through them. And then we just discuss them to essentially try and f- try and learn the rules better, but then to try and hone our own understanding of spiritual direction and hopefully being able to guide people a little bit better, specifically using the rules of discernment. So it's maybe like six or seven guys back there. And Father Welter, who is a master of the rules, um, just kind of sits and talks with us and helps us and answers questions and things like that. So it's been very cool. It's a little intimate space. And um, yeah, I basically resonated massively with something that Gallagher was saying in my own prayer life and was trying to both relate that to the group, but then turn it into a question, which I really did have a question. And I realized halfway through it that I was just rambling about my own experience. Mm. <laughs> and then I became very self-conscious <laughs> that I had like taken over the whole lunch. And then it it felt like it turned into this like, does Mike need group spiritual direction right now? <laughs> like, no, 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 no. I'm like really excited that this happened 
because I wouldn't have seen it and I wouldn't have been able to put words to it if I hadn't been listening to Father Gallagher. And so kind of like freely throwing out my own experience to try and uh, allow people to use it to look into their to their own experience or whatever. But yeah, I just became very, very self-conscious about this rambling slash question that I had gone on. Um, although I didn't have the experience of it being very freeing at the end. So <laughs> yeah, I just basically had to hand that one over to the Lord and let it go. But that's not a good feeling. The hyper self-consciousness. No. And I'm like, wait, what am I saying? Oh no. Oh no. Now I'm thinking about myself thinking, Oh no. <laughs> there's still words coming out of my mouth. Wait, what am I, I saying? Where did I oh, start? No. What was the point again? <laughs> like, Oh gosh. Yeah. That'll but, happen to me once in a while. In I'm good a, for the one about write, one of those a year. It's well, it's just like I always have at least a few notes jotted down for homilies, but not very often, thankfully. But then all of a sudden, like I don't know if you just let yourself say a couple lines that weren't planned yep. or what it is. Yep. But then you look down and you're like, Where was I? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I might as well start talking about fishing because <laughs> I do not know where I am. Yeah. Yeah. Do you get that and sinking the, feeling too in your stomach when that happens? Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> it's bizarre, but like, I, my body language is just absolutely fascinating, especially with stuff like this, because I feel like there have been moments as a listener where I have seen it happen to people. Yep. Mm-hmm. And like, I could not, I could not tell you what gave it away. But like I know this person just got super lost. I know it <laughs> right now. Yep. I don't know if it's in the eyes or I couldn't tell you, but you can f- feel it and see it. I don't know. There was a guy that gave his deacon homily at Mundelein and that happened to him. But it was <gasps> it was the worst I've ever seen because he tried. Oh. He didn't even admit it. He just tried to get back on the rails. But it was like oh. he's reading. He's reading. Some thought strikes him and he just starts riffing, looking like straight at us. And then ah. he looks back down and, oh, I don't know where I am. And it was, it felt like a minute of silence oh. <laughs> as he's trying to get back on the rails. And it's so painful. I was like this as a kid. Anytime anybody got embarrassed on a TV show, I, I hated it so much because I felt it very keenly. And I'm not a particularly sensitive or empathic person, but that was just very, very... <laughs> upsetting to me when somebody would be publicly embarrassed or fail yeah you know like in a sitcom or something yeah i had a roommate who could not watch the office yeah because it was just chocked full of those right <laughs> there yeah scott's tots oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's that's so it's, bad it's really bad yeah you know, and it does make me think of, I, we haven't talked about him in a little while, and I haven't Scott's listened to him in a little Todd's. while. Scott's oh. Todd's, good gravy. <laughs> but Jordan Peterson, he talks a lot about the existential pain of consciousness. And like that's really the way that he mythologizes the fall is that man and woman became immediately self-conscious and like they essentially could not get outside of themselves that... And it was just a horrific feeling. Hmm. Um, And so like a lot of what we do, especially reactions that cause us to sin, is trying to 
um, diminish our own like consciousness of ourself, essentially, which is odd because most of the time it, our reaction is quite selfish, mm-hmm. um, which just causes it to to increase and increase. Um, That's uh, lost in the cosmos. Remember his whole excursus on the triadic creature, Walker Percy. I, no. Have you read that? I, either of you? No, I haven't read that one. Remember? That's yeah, the only yeah. one you've read. Oh, that's right. And I've read uh, Lancelot. Woo! No, I read Lancelot after you recommended it, and then I went back and finally read Lost in the Cosmos, and it was totally worth nice. it. Nice. But the whole idea of the triadic creature is that um, we're the first thing that comes along that can intend. I don't know if these are his words, but it, it's kind of a brain chemistry or brain theory idea that we can intend meaning like be conscious of something outside of ourselves and then point another creature who is also triadic to this third thing whereas like animals speak or communicate to each other but it's simply to get a reaction out of them like a like a white-tailed deer will flick its tail up or make a noise and it tells the other deer there's danger and run away but it's not like they're saying there's a hunter watch out and then the deer the other deer is like oh hunters are bad and then thinks about it and then runs away it's not an idea. It's just a uh, biological reaction or whatever. Whereas human beings with language can um, like describe, paint a picture, um, intend an object outside of itself, and then show that object to someone else, whether by language or any other form of communication, art, music. Um, and then, but then the self is like this object I can't remember all the ins and outs of what he what he talks about, but, but basically you become an object of your own consciousness. Um, and so you're kind of alien to yourself in some ways, and you need someone else to kind of reveal you to yourself. And um, kind of like him, the whole lost in the cosmos thing is that you, you stand above the cosmos and can describe it and imagine it and talk about it, but you don't know where you are in it, you know, because you're just a perspective on it, but you're, and his whole point is like every time you see a photo of a group of people that you're in, the first face you look for is yourself. You're constantly looking for validation of your own existence because you're like, where am I in all of this? Roger Scruton has a point about this with the face, that the face is the way is the sort of window to the person. But it's the only part of the person's body that you that the person themselves can't see, like my black eye. I can't see it. That's why I constantly forget about it. Whereas if it were my hand that was bruised or or something, I'd see it all the time. But that's not so essential to myself. So the point is that um, maybe I'm doing one of these things where I got lost. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, where, where, what were you saying, Mike? Well, I just, just the pain of self consciousness. Right. Yeah, the Peterson. Thing. I want to know why it hurts. Like, right. And why... his and his point is like Pop Percy is like you, that's why we do these things like um, drugs, sex, uh, distraction. And it could, because it, it sort of lessens the pain of being lost in the cosmos, of not knowing where we belong. But the only true way, and this is where the, the triadic creature gets saved, only when someone is willing to look as foolish as someone climbing up a tree to go get a cat. Like the cat has gotten up in the tree and it can't get down. That's humanity and Adam and Eve in the fall and their self-consciousness and selfishness. Someone has to go up in the tree and make a fool of themselves to go get the cat down. Because as we know, the cat is the most foolish of all animals. So that's Awful. that's kind of us as we've trapped ourselves. But somebody has to be willing to be the fool to come get us and to show us 
you know, what humanity, what human existence is for, which is self-forgetfulness, total love, um, which to me is pretty illuminating, um, makes sense of the mystery of consciousness and sin at the same time. You know what I mean? That's yeah. a good book. Good book. It's kind of weird as all Walker Percy books are. Yeah, because even like all the stories that we just told of whatever, either realizing that you are off the rails or even seeing somebody realize that they're off the rails, even that hurts because Mm -hmm. your pain is saying, oh my gosh, I know what is happening to this person and his, that's so miserable to him Mm -hmm. that it's actually going to make me miserable thinking or knowing that that's what he's feeling as well. Uh, well, because we don't want to be conscious of each other's egos. Like, what? When are your best homilies? When you just you forget that you're even talking and that you're even you. You just are. Like to me, the Isaiah thing. Let me sing of the one I love or something. Let me sing a song of my beloved. That to me is the best homilies. When you you've prepared it, you know you've done your work in advance and prayed, and then you just spew truth, and it's not you talking, and you forget that that people are looking at you and if anything you're you're lost in them and you're like trying to feed them something because you love them and you get you can get caught into that that flow that spirit of love which is the holy spirit in the liturgy and then when this breaks in you're like crap what's actually happening here is that i'm trying to impress a bunch of people with my really smart talking and now i look like an idiot now i'm really self-conscious and they're all staring at me and i feel naked and this that self-consciousness breaks through you get what I'm saying? I, I don't know if I'm right about that, but that seems to me like what's happening. That all of a sudden that you lose the, the mystery of it. Which to me is a lot of what the modern liturgy stuff, why it's so difficult to pray in modern churches or like in my chapel currently. If anything, like you, you don't get lost in the mystery of God who is bigger than you and so worthy of love and enthrallment. It's in spite of the space or in spite of the way the liturgy is celebrated, that you are conscious of God and not of self. You know what I mean? But you walk into a big, huge, beautiful church with beautiful singing, or into a venue where everybody's looking at this singer who's masterful, and everyone's paying attention to him and letting him take them wherever his music takes them. And like being lost in those things, you're not as conscious of everyone's an ego trying to impress or trying to build itself up, you know, here's a question. You ready for this jelly? Mm-hmm. This is something I was talking about with Katie. I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts because another time I get self-conscious is when will often happen. Someone comes to you as a priest and just dumps for like 45 minutes or an hour, all of their problems, everything that's gone wrong in their life their own anguish and sadness, all their family's problems. And then they say, like, where is God in all of this? They're crying and they're just desperate and you're like their last resort. What do you do or say in those moments? Do you have that happen to you? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I think that's like, yeah, certainly aspects of it, definitely. 
Because I struggle with this. I'm like, um, what do... That's when I'm very conscious of my own limitation. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't fix this. Um, But I also have to believe in God that's here and doing stuff. And I'm supposed to be his instrument. What do I do? Yeah, I, I... It happens, but it hasn't for a, for a while. I mean, y'all are much closer to to the people, to the quote unquote peoples. Um, I don't know, Rob. I mean, have you had? I don't know. Maybe you could, you could probably speak to it better than I could. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'd like, because it's, I guess, I think of it too, of like in such like individual circumstances as well. Um, I mean, so it varies like on how well I know the person and it doesn't happen all the time by any means, but, um, but just, I think that what happens more commonly than like how you describe that, how I heard it was like, you know, someone is coming to you, not as like a last resort necessarily, but like, we've talked about that a lot of, they just come to the church for help in some capacity of like, I just don't know how to fix this. Maybe this isn't fixable, like and maybe it's a really deep reality and maybe it's something that's just kind of like kind of really forefront at this aspect, this point in time in my life. Um, and so I don't know, I guess the only thing that had been like consoling to me in that is like, you know, typically nothing like that is, I mean, you could go the whole route of like, you're not going to solve the problem, et cetera. But like even in helping someone like through something like that, it's, it's very rarely, going not going to happen in like one conversation i don't know this is kind of what i've been i i do believe that and so it's just like allowing the person to talk and um like yeah maybe asking a couple like questions or pointing out like um you know the things that like where maybe they could see like there is god's presence in in their life etc so um yeah, I don't know. I guess I just haven't felt necessarily like an angst w- when those situations come up to like answer the question for them, if that makes sense. Um, so I don't know if that's good or bad. That's just how I would process it right now. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. So are you talking like, what do you say to them from like a pastoral like practice or like, no, I know. I, I guess like I know. your like your internal state of saying like, dang, I just don't know the answer to that. Does that make sense? That distinction. Yeah, yeah, it does. Because I do know all the tricks of the trade, like active listening, mirroring. Mm-hmm. You know, not talking about yourself, not moralizing their problems, and that all works. But it does seem like this will happen sometimes that your pastoral ministry or even spiritual direction, quote unquote, can just very easily turn into here's a person I can talk to and tell everything. Um, and I, I don't know that anything's ever really resolved. And I, I don't feel particularly good at counseling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. It's not really what I'm, good at yeah i would agree and that like with that light i have not had 
like enough encounters yet to say i i'm starting to think about it i guess with like certain instances and stuff like that of like just kind of knowing like okay this is just not something that like i could necessarily like help with from a clinical perspective certainly well even to be Um, quite frank i people will come and just ask the question like how do i pray and hmm. less and less do i feel even confident to answer that question yeah Hmm. you know what i mean like i pray every day i i know how to pray but uh you, so when you say you're not a good counselor, you mean you're not good at giving counsel to people, or are you talking about from like a clinical, I guess perspective both. there? I guess both. Like I, I don't know. Some people will probably say I've given them great counsel, but uh, I. What something that Katie said was that, you know, God has to act now. Um, a lot of times when people bring to you even in confession but particularly when they like make set up an hour appointment up with you to like i've got a bunch of stuff i need to just talk to somebody um it's a lot of stuff in the past or anxieties about the future like what am i going to do all this stuff has happened to me and now i'm lost and i you know i don't see a way forward and they're looking for a word of hope you know i, I don't think that people are put I, I probably put more pressure on myself than than they're putting on me, like to fix it. Um, but they do ask questions like, where's God in all this? And how can I get hope? And how can I feel better? Um, and I guess that's really true that God doesn't, he does not working in the past or in the future. Those times don't even exist. All there is, is the present right here, right now. And God is doing something. He's here. And so what I often do is I, I pray with the people and just start talking to God with them and asking him for the things that they appear to be asking for. And I don't know if that helps. I, I mean, I do get feedback a lot of times like, oh, I felt so much better after talking to you and, and blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's not even a question. It's just something that, that I struggle with because the more you're in this game, dude, the more you realize all the stuff that's going on in people's lives and you're like, whoa, <laughs> how how do you address this Yeah, from the pulpit in the confessional in your programming and, and formation of people, you know, the whole vision of evangelization and bringing people to Christ, what it actually looks like is, uh, it can be very intimidating when you just scratch the surface of one life and you realize all that's going on and all the healing that's needed you know, um, in all the senses, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm scared about my physical health. I'm been wounded from uh, trauma in the past, or this person who was supposed to have loved me has totally betrayed me. And now my life is ruined. Um, yeah, like where it's gotta be now or never. I feel like, you know, either God is here right now doing stuff and you can call on him and ask him to be here to illuminate your path and like make one step forward. But it's not going to be like you said, Rob, you know, it's not one conversation. It's not like, Oh, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to give you the, the inoculation of grace. And now everything's hunky dory. 
But uh, that's the same thing with homilies, you know? Like you think, oh, I'm going to preach this homily and it's going to make everybody totally into disciples and want to go headlong into this adventure when really it's the effect of years and years and years of preaching to the same people over and over again and maybe a few people really go deep. I kind of noticed that like I preached, well, like last Christmas was my first time like preaching, you know, and I don't know, at one point I preached the, I think I preached the Christmas morning mass at the parish and you know, wanted it to be good. And yeah, cause I first cr- preached Christmas Eve at my home parish, which was cool and everything. And so I kind of like, I really tried to prep it and, you know, just realized like I wanted to fit like the whole salvation history into this one homily, which, you know, can be like summed up in, in some context, certainly. But I, I just, I remember kind of sitting there realizing, I was like, huh, Christmas is different than Easter. Like, they're, you know, two pieces to the same story, you know? So I just tried to hone in on, like, just, like, the incarnation and God wanting to to be with us. Um, and then I kind of waited until I preached at Easter about, like, you know, like, the actual, like, death and resurrection and saving action of, of Jesus. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's some wisdom in, in that. Um, but I mean, I think what you're saying too is just like, yeah, having confidence to pray with people and ask God for things right then. And like, um, yeah, I've never ever had anyone like turn down saying a prayer with them or a blessing or anything mm-hmm. like that. I, I don't know if I'm hearing you a hundred percent, but, um, yeah, I mean, certainly there's power there. Yeah. It's something that, um, cause I, I do know what you mean. Um, I haven't had it like with your first example where you said like people come in and give this massive, um, just kind of tell you everything that's going on and they just, they brain dump, they heart dump. And it's just like, wow, that's very overwhelming. And I, I couldn't tell you how the Lord is going to work with that or what he's going to do with it. I haven't had that necessarily. Um, but I have felt a type of pressure when people ask me questions about, um, essentially like growing in love with the Lord, uh, and maybe even more specifically like asking, yeah, really personal questions about even just like smaller struggles that they have in their own life. And, and me realizing like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> I went to school for going on seven years specifically to talk about this. And I really don't know what the answer is to this. Mm. Um, and that's kind of kind of embarrassing, but then I also think so Father Walter, he told us something very, very helpful um, at one of these lunch meetings two weeks ago. And he was really just giving like a general layout of what it means to be a spiritual director and what it means to actually be a spiritual guide. Um, and in Benedict, he said, Pope Benedict said, priests should be masters of the spiritual life. that when people come to them, they they, they are, they want to know how do I how do I grow in love for the Lord? How can I actually see Him more? And and I like I take that pretty seriously. I think He's very very correct in that. Um, and so if that's our one charge, like I do find that to be very important and and want to grow in that. 
But Father Welter, he contextualized it really well because I, I have felt that same pressure. And I was asking a question of essentially like, how do you get people to talk more about something? So they ask you a question, but really, if, even if I give them an answer, that's not the answer. Like I've, I've told people the answer, like, oh, God loves you. That is the answer. That is true. And that's really what you're searching for. But that's not the answer. That's not actually what they're looking for. Mm is me to say God loves you. What they want to hear is God to say, I love you. (laughs) Like to actually, that that's going to be the thing ultimately of everything else is going to be the thing that fulfills their heart, heals them and gets them outside of themselves and allows them to love. And so like, I don't know how to do that whatsoever. So I was asking the most bare bone questions of like, how do you ask a question that gets somebody to talk about a feeling that they had or a movement that they had or an experience that they had? Um, and he was just simply saying, uh, essentially just say, say more about that or like, tell me more about this and is it, give them space to talk. But the way that he framed spiritual direction was as if he was a marriage counselor and this is very helpful for me to to see because I think oftentimes the way that I conceive of just aiding people in the next step of the spiritual life um, is that it's me standing in front of them like they're some giant plane and I'm backing them out of the tarmac and like I'm the leader and everything is dependent on how I wave my arms and move them in the right direction. When in reality, what it's like is more like marriage counseling where the whole job is for you to get out of the way and constantly be turning them to actually talk to the other, that that's literally your only job is to try and get them to stop speaking to you and actually say what they're saying to you to, to Jesus or to God, and then let him speak back to them. And so it's literally just, it's like marriage counseling in that way where at the beginning, the way that I understand, I've never done it, personally, but that they're supposed to, the, the spouses are turned facing towards the, the counselor or the mediator. And slowly you have them face towards each other and say more things to one another instead of to you. But you essentially act as the buffer in between until eventually you just want them to be talking. And there was something really like light bulb just went off when he explained it and showed it that way, where okay, I'm, I am not on to back them out of the tarmac and make sure that they take off and like shoot down the runway the right direction. But I'm actually meant to get the heck out of the way and simply just to turn them to telling what they're telling me and tell it to the Lord. And for whatever reason, it was just like, I guess I knew it, but I had never seen it diagrammed with a salt and pepper shaker and sugar packets, like the way he set it up on the table. So he just made it very clear and it alleviated a lot of the pressure that I think I felt about it was I was putting myself in the center, which is why I think I I felt that self-consciousness instead of, um, yeah, just having it be a dialogue, a dialogue of man and God. Um, yeah, that's really good, dude. Cause I, I think it's the same feeling when a person stops talking and then looks at you expectantly and you realize they haven't been talking to God, they've been talking to you this whole time and you are on to do God's job to fix it all. And that's when you feel like I am a worm and no man. 
Uh, but that that's really helpful to just kind of like dodge it and be like, hey, you just said all that stuff to God, and now let's listen to what he has to say. And you, he might use you to say some stuff, but yeah, it takes a lot of the pressure off. Yeah, dude, and that's where Karchi, Father Karchi was brutal at it because he was like relentless on that principle. I know. That was his first and last question is like, what did the Lord say? Okay, what did the, when you told the Lord about that, which presupposes you told the Lord about that. Yeah. <laughs> like I can remember getting quasi nervous going into spiritual direction because I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't prepared on my spiritual direction. I have to come in with something. Like he's directing what happens in my prayer, which means I have to know what the Lord has been saying to me. So I would like frantically go through my prayer journals and um, because he, he wasn't going to do work that he was not capable of. Like he, he never had that, uh, that expectation of himself. Mm. And certainly I don't think he would let us have that expectation for him. Um, and even still now, that's his first question. What's coming up in prayer? What did the Lord say about that? Okay. Yeah. Hmm. It's good. It's given me a lot to think about and pray about. But I'll probably just think about it. <laughs> just get up, get all up in my mind and try to figure it all out. Yeah, that's the way to do it. tin whistle whoa what's this what key is that in g d sweet g no 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 g g okay rob what do you got on that end nice some claves <laughs> Man, I need to I need to play this thing more. This is super fun. What is that? This is the dulcimer, man. The, hand, oh. the you you need no skill. You, all you got to do is literally pluck the string. It's perfect. And does it have a button for each chord? No, <laughs> that would. Be oh, that's the auto harp. I'm thinking of. What is a dulcimer? I'm gonna look it up. Uh, yeah, it's a Merlin. A Merlin. That's very appropriate with the book I'm reading. All right, yeah, Merlin, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, I see. You have one of these? Well, are you looking at one of the ones... You're probably looking at a hammer dulcimer. No, it's it looks like a weird guitar. It's like a miniature guitar? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awesome, dude. And you just, the frets, you just move your finger up the frets to make different chords? Yeah. Can you play songs on it? 
Um, a couple, but let's, it's mostly just plucking and playing. Let's hear one. Um, well, I, I played that Mumford one on the podcast at one point. Oh yeah, that's right. Is that the only one you know? No, I know a couple other Irish ones, but it's been a while since I played them. I can play um, uh, Tanti Mergo, which is pretty easy to pick up. But all right, we'll I, sing it. We'll sing it with you. Are you gonna sing it? I don't know. Please don't sing it. I'd really well. I'll play it, but all right, play it. Oh, whoa. <laughs> I'm becoming very self-conscious right now. <laughs> that's always, that's, uh, we're just not going to do this. It's been a while. It's been a while. I'm, a not, big interval. I'm not prepared for this, okay? You caught me You caught me off guard, all right? <laughs> all right. He's an artist. I'm, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> mm, art. What is the purpose of art? Love this thing. Do you guys watch that video that... Uh, you guys have seen that, right? The Donny McManus video that Guadalupe Rostri put out. The no. Oh, they made it public. I think I showed... Did I show you Rohimador's? Mm. They sent me a sneak preview months ago. Oh, that's right. For moral reasons, I chose not to watch it because oh, it was a sneak preview. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, watch okay. it. I'll throw it in the show notes. I tweeted it, but... Nice. It's very cool about art yeah, and beauty and freedom. Mm, nice. Mm-hmm. I'm into that. Hey, Robert, are you reading any good books, or are you just cruising through the end of the affair? Um, I'm trying to think. I just finished. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I finished The Grapes of Wrath. Oh, that was really good. That's a crazy ending. Wow. Huh? And did I tell you guys that? No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whoa. I mean that. Yeah. Just the last page of that book, you do not see coming. Uh, and you, you ask yourself. Is this really the end, or did is there like another book that's an addendum? Gosh, man, oh man! Because you yeah, think they keep leading you to believe like something's going to happen that's going to be good, and then dude, please come on, come on! Everybody, know, dude, the book is super old. Dude, that it's doesn't really mean old. doesn't mean you just talk about it freely like this. Come on, dude. We're stuck. And then the whole thing happens that was totally unexpected. Remember? Oh, man. I do oh, remember. Gosh. Well, now I know there's a twist coming. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you don't... Yeah, it is It is a bizarre, bizarre ending. Um, but I think the line that hit me most from that book was... And it's, it's towards the end, but it's not... I mean, it's maybe three-quarters of the way through the book or something. But it's when Ma is at the, like, the little grocery store in one of the, like, the tent places that they were and the guy gives her like a dime or something like that and she goes well if this taught me one thing it's like if you ever if you ever need anything ask the poor like don't ask anybody that's rich yeah. for anything uh-huh. uh, and so is my favorite line actually Alana Boudreaux has a song about Grapes of Wrath on the album with what Bendrix read FYI that's wow. really good should, yep. sounds like we should have her on the podcast is she on the podcast right now? <laughs> not on my end. No, not here. How do you spell We should Boudreaux? maybe have her on the podcast. I have Is no idea. All, all French like? She, 
Yeah. Um, have we had any ladies on the podcast before? Michelle Obama, I think. Oh, I would remember that. I don't think we had her. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. I do not know. Well, Elena Boudreaux sounds like an excellent first lady to have on there. Ironically, how do you spell, not, how do you spell her first name? Not Michelle Obama. A L A N A. Might be two N's. Hang on, I'll look up on my phone. Alana. Okay, A L A N N A, and then Boudreaux is B O U D R E A U. Okay. She's pretty hard to find on the internet. There we go. Alana Boudreaux. Can I, can I play you guys one of the songs I wrote? Yeah, please. Please, please, please. All right, let me go get my guitar. Don't say anything bad that I have to edit out. Okay. Hey, I have to. I have class at four two forty. So after this, really I have short, to go. It's okay? a short song. Okay. One sec. Yeah, and no rush. <laughs> a little rush. Is this just a way that Connor's using to get his music out now? Definitely. Definitely. Hey, all the um all the Joliet dudes are up here. All the Joliet priests. Oh so yeah. All of, our, all of our classmates are up here for the how week. Are how are they? Um, haven't really talked to many of them. They've okay. they've been a bit busy. Father Brett Brannon is their uh their nice. retreat master. Cool. Are you guys ready for this, Jelly? Play it. Can you hear guitar? I can hear it, yep. A lady is running to catch a bus. Her clothes smell like perfume and cigarettes Her picture ID never looks like her And no one ever checks The glare of that September sun Perfectly blinds the eastbound ones Reminds us all of last year's smudge We never got around to cleaning up Ooh, 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 ooh. abandoned car wash a dead raccoon a city emptied out into empty streets 
He looked like he was sleeping in between yellow lines cradling his cheek. Before we made long distance calls and gave up writing what we saw. Before we watched suburban sprawl, we've forgotten what we learned and what we taught. Ask forgiveness for what I have, or do I have to give it away and part with it? And if I give away what matters most, is this really all there is? Es todo. Bravo. Thanks. Bravo, man. Nice. Very nice. Do you have a particular inspiration for that? A dead raccoon I saw driving in the suburbs. <laughs> Is that real? Uh, among other things, and a lady running to catch a bus. Just cool. Kind of like my meditations on city living driving out to the suburbs for a talk I had and just kind of getting a better lay of the land of how we actually live. Just the feelings that it evokes in me. Hey, that, uh, that playing, well, an excellent song. It reminded me of a voicemail that my younger brother JP left me, um, that I'm going to send it to you. Yeah, and I asked his permission. I said, dude, can I send this to Father Connor? I think he would love this voicemail. So expect that later. Cool. I got a lot of homework here to do on my sick day tomorrow. Alana Boudreau, finish Hideous Strength, listen to a voicemail, sit and veg out and watch a ton of Netflix and nap. Edit this podcast so that only the things I said go in it. (laughs) Actually, now it'll be easy. I might just do that right Straight away, I have 515 mass today. That's the only other thing. Mm-hmm. Well, dude. Okay, hey, I got to get up to class, all right? All right. It's been real. See ya. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball.
Ducks. Good girl. <laughs>